This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Well, it's a great joy to, to see you, and uh, welcome to all of you here, and any of you visiting, and good to see you, bro. It really is. Good morning, those of you who are away, perhaps, or outside, or, or you're streaming. It's great to hear your voices resound, it is well with my soul. And I truly hope, from the bottom of my heart, that that's, that's something you're truly experiencing, that is the work of Christ the work of His Spirit in your heart so that you can mean what you say. It's well with my soul. There's a lot, of course, in our circumstances that are not well. There's a lot going on in the world that's not well. You know, I think you all know that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, right? And those of you old enough to probably remember exactly where you were when you first saw that first film clip, right, of those airplanes coming into the Twin Towers. 2020, and up to this point, there's also a lot of indelible memories, you know, of moments that you've had, some of you through sickness, you know, things that have happened in your life. Um, I think we probably will remember the impact of those things that were personal more than, more than maybe the, the broader ones, you know. For me, one of my indelible memories will be just dropping my dad off to that memory care center in this strange context of protocols and knowing I, it's like he's walking into a prison and I won't be able to touch him. That'll be imprinted in my mind for a long, long time. But I can say to you today, it is well with my soul. Can you say that and mean it? It is well with your soul. There's much that's disorienting right now, much that's troubling to us. But if we can see God for who He is, beloved, if we can get a glimpse by His Spirit's work through the Word into His nature, into His character, we can say and mean it, that we have hope and therefore it's well with my soul, regardless of what's happening in my circumstances, my life around us. I'm really building today on what we said last week. I know all of you weren't here, and, but last week we talked about the importance of understanding that we persevere by faith. Hebrews 11, we looked at the whole chapter going up to chapter 12, verse 3 in there. We persevere by faith. Because by faith, we grasp a hold of Him who has a hold of us. By faith, we lay hold of Him who is working in us to do according to His will. By faith, we begin to see God for who He is. And when we see God for who He is, hope is born in our hearts. And hope, Paul says, does not disappoint. Hope sustains us when we see again that we are not living Simply for the here and now, that there's more to life than what we can buy. There's more to life than what we can touch and, and smell. 
And when we have that kind of clarity, then we can, we can, we can progress, we can press on in the Christian life. We said that's part of our responsibility on our part as pastors, and that's part of the reason why we gather is to do what? Is to get on that high ground together. To get on the high ground where we can see God for who He is. Moses persevered, we said, by faith, Hebrews 11, as seeing Him who is unseen. As if He was seeing the one who is invisible. And that kept Him. He endured, says Scripture, as seeing Him who is unseen. That is, by faith. And so today I build upon that by saying to you, let's get a deeper understanding of who it is we're seeing by faith. And today I want to say to you, I want to say to you from my heart that you need to see by faith that God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is absolutely sovereign and in control of everything that's happening in this world, big and small. And not only is he all-powerful and, uh, and, uh, and, and sovereign over all things, he's also infinitely wise. And, and in his understanding, his comprehension of how to manage things. It's not simply that God is sovereign, but he's kind of being stretched with how things are going. And lastly... Not only is he all sovereign and infinite in his wisdom and understanding, but God is perfect in his love for his people, for his children. When we bring these, when we bring these truths together, these attributes of God together, what we are understanding is the doctrine of providence. The providence of God, to use a term that uh, theologians use. What is providence? It's not a word we use much in our English parlance anymore. I gave you there a definition. It's a simple one. It's from the author Jerry Bridges. He says, God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. And I want to tell you that his absolute care and his, his, his constant rule over everything for his glory is never in competition with your good. God rules all such things for his glory, that is, to bring about the glory of his plan for the ages, to bring about the glory of his plan of, of summing all things under his son Christ who will then bring all things back to the Father that God may be all in all. As God works all things together for His glory, it will always be for your good. They'll never be in conflict. Such is God. That's the doctrine of providence. I want to say to you, nothing of what has been happening in this world, ever, but especially I'm focusing on now, nothing of what is happening in this nation Nothing of what you see, nothing that's being decided by politicians is outside of God's absolute control. Things that are done 
may be against his moral will, but they're never against his sovereign will. All things fit into the design of God. Remind you as we do periodically, everyone works for God, whether they realize it or not. In the reformer Martin Luther, remember what he used to say, yes, there's a devil, but he's God's devil. <laughs> we are not dualists like Star Wars. We don't believe in the good side of the force and the bad side of the force, the dark and the light. God and the devil are not equals trying to battle it out. Even the devil serves God's purposes and will be held accountable for his actions. So when we gather, beloved, for worship, we're not here to collect more Bible facts. We're not here to be better armed to argue with someone. We're coming in awe, I hope, of the privilege we have of knowing God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and being known by Him, to exalt Him, to exalt Him and to see Him with greater clarity that we might have hope because hope won't disappoint us. It'll sustain us. That's what we gather for. And when we gather, it's almost like every time there's a prayer reverberating in the back of my heart and that is that somehow God would bring us, as it were, as it were, into that place where the Apostle John was suddenly, where he was, and writing the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, uh, there on the island of Patmos, there suffering for Christ, under the rule of the Roman emperor, under the empire, and he's taken up to the presence of God. He's taken up to the throne room, and there he is in Revelation 4 and 5, where our brother Jim preached from some, some weeks ago, and he, what he sees there is that there is a higher throne than the Roman emperor. There's a higher throne, and, and the one who's on that throne is the Ancient of Days, it's God the Father, and there's one at His side, and it is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy are you, the people are worshiping Him, you see. I'm here to tell you again today that God is in control. And I want you to see that. So you can truly say, and me with your heart, it is well with my soul. Not because circumstances go the way I want them to, but because there's a higher throne and I'm seeing it by faith. So my text, my text today from the book of Romans, very familiar, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. But let me set up the book of Romans a little bit, please, just for a couple moments. Many of you will know that the book of Romans, this letter of Romans, was written by the Apostle Paul. And what he's doing there, he is unfolding the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. He comes to that glorious peak in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
glorious news, right? He moves on from there, and he addresses the reality in chapter 6 and 7 that though we're justified before God and we have peace with God, we still live in a fallen world. And we still live in these mortal bodies, these fleshly bodies with their own their own inclinations. And so in chapters 6 and 7, he gets real about the fact. Sometimes we do the very things we don't want to do as Christians now. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death as he looks forward? In other words, when will I be done with this? <laughs> well, he says, until we get there, you need to know this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right now. And so he moves on from there. He says, be sure you understand you're free from the tyranny of sin right now. Nevertheless, we must work out the implications of living in this mortal body in a fallen world. And so he begins to talk about what is the Christian life then? How does the Christian life work out? In Romans 8, he says, we, we walk and live by the Holy Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of are sons of God, he says. And the Spirit enables us to cry out even in, the, even in this perplexing world, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, he says, that we are the children of God. I hope you've arrived at that level of conviction at some point in your life. Where you, he bore witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. You've been born again. But nevertheless, if we are his children, he says, we are heirs. We're looking forward to an inheritance. We are heirs, but you remember we mentioned this last week. We'll be glorified with him after we suffer with him. And that's the foundation there of our text. You see, the foundation of our text is verses 16 and 17 in Romans 8. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And he deals then with the sufferings of this present time. And then he says, we have the Spirit to help us through the sufferings of this present time. How does the Spirit help us during these times? How does the Spirit help us? He says. But likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Verse 26. Sometimes how? He says, by interceding for us when all we can do is like groan. You ever gotten to a point in your life where you didn't even know how to pray about something? You're done with it? You've prayed so many different ways that you don't, you just, all you can do at this point is just groan, moan. He intercedes for you. And then comes our verse, you see. God also wants us to be convinced in this journey, verse 28, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He wants you to know that. And the Spirit may convict you and, and convince you that that is, that is true. So that you can say, it's well with my soul. It's well 
with my soul. So we're going to look at this verse now, okay? And I'm just going to do something we've done here before years ago. Just, we're just going to ask the questions of the verse, okay? Romans 8, 28. The first question, who is working? It says here, all things work together for good. Who's doing the working? Well, the New American Standard adds the word God. It reads differently, right? I, I memorized the old version. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, right? The New American Standard puts the word God there. But you, if you notice, if you had that translation with you, or if you don't, you go look later, it's italicized. Why? Because the word God is not in the best and earliest manuscripts. The subject in that sentence is all things. All things work together for good. But why did the translators want to put the word God there? Because, because we know from Genesis to Revelation that things don't just work themselves out for our good. <laughs> That just doesn't happen. Life doesn't just work itself out for our good if God wasn't looking out for us. And so the, the sense is from the context of Romans that is that God is the one who works all things together for good. The Bible never presumes that things will work out. There's no such thing as chance. There is no force out there called chance that somehow is in control of everything that's happening. No thing, nothing such as blind fate. It is God who has absolute control. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 11 again. He works all. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. Isaiah 46, verse 9 says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, he can declare the future exactly as it's going to be from the vantage point of the beginning. Why? Not simply because he knows all things and sees anything, but because he has declared them all. He has decreed them all. Who is the one working all things? Who's in control? Who's in charge here? God is. The second question is this. What is he working? How much is in the scope of God's control that he is working? We're told here it is what? How many things? You can answer. All. All things. All things. You say, would that mean that he's also in control of bad things? <laughs> yeah, thank you. All things. Exodus 4, 11 through 12. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dem dumb or deaf? or seeing or blind? Who makes someone blind? Is that not I, the Lord? Tough verse, huh? Can you see? Can you hear? Bless the Lord. Who makes him? The Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of man plans his way, but God, 
directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. March 2020, a whole bunch of plans got blown away. The Lord directs. Lamentations. 3, 37 and 38. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High, watch this, that good and bad come? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? So says the Lord, you see. All things, down to the smallest detail. Bear with me for a few more minutes here. What did Jesus say? He said, are not two sparrows sold for a mere cent? A penny? That's how small they are. How important are sparrows? Well, they, they're just worth a penny. How many are them? There's a bunch of sparrows, but... And yet, he says what? Not one of them will fall. Not one sparrow on this globe ever in history will fall to the ground apart from your Father. He didn't say about, apart from God knowing about it. He said apart from your Father. I declare the end from the beginning. See, So when Paul says God is the one who's working, and he's working all things. He means all, all things. But he wants, I think, the Roman readers, and he wants you and me to understand that especially that includes the sufferings of this present age. Because he had just said that earlier, right? Remember, we are people who live in an overlap of two ages. The, the age to come is broken into your life if you're a Christian. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You cry, Abba, Father. You, 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 there's a resurrection that lies ahead for you, but right now you have to still live out this new life of the age to come in this old body that still gets sick, right? And hurts, yeah. And you live in a fallen world with your mortality intact. So Paul especially wants them and us to understand that when he says God's working all things, it includes, especially he's focusing on the sufferings of this present age. Or his encouragements wouldn't make any sense. So, I know you're going through difficult things, some of you, with health conditions or financial conditions or other personal things, you know them better, much better than I. What part of what you're experiencing doesn't fit into the all things? None of it. So let me say to you again, every result of COVID-19, politically, financially, personally, medically, Moment by moment, day by day, everything that has happened occurred from social unrest, political unrest, every moment of it has been in the hands of God the Father. 
no one will die one day sooner than God wants them to or live one second longer than God wants them to. And everything you hear on the news comes ultimately from the hand of God Almighty, the Sovereign Lord. Psalm 139 says, In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as there was not one of them. Before I lived a single day, they were written. The third question. Third question. How is it that all things work together for good? God's the one who works. What is he working with? All things, good and bad. How is it that it comes to good? It's because he works them together. Together. I want you to see that there. That's a compound verb there. Work together. That's why the, the word together is added in the translation. He works all things together. What Paul means is that all things will converge together at some point. All things will conspire together. They will combine together to some ultimate good. That's what he means. He does not say this. Paul does not say this. Please hear me. He's not saying that all the things that happen to you and me are good. Bad things happen to us in a fallen world. Paul is not saying all things whatsoever that touch you are good things. No. He's saying that even those bad things, those painful hurts, those things that have left scars on some of you, emotionally, relationally, that even those things are woven into the plan of God and they will conspire with other good things and together they will coalesce and conspire to bring about ultimate good. So please hear that carefully, what Paul is saying there. So when, when will these things come together so we can see the good? If God's working in the get, when will they come together when all things have, have come together? Well, when do all things come together? Well, if there was one more day left of human history, there still wouldn't be all things coming together, right? We still would have to wait for that one more day. So when do they all conspire to ultimate good? In the end. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. And all things will come together. It's well with my soul. Well. God's keeping me on a high hill. Showing me who he is. I hope you can say it's well with your soul because you know that whatever, that which has touched you painfully or bothers you or hurts you or seems broken is going to conspire and come together to ultimate good. We walk by faith. Moses persevered. He endured is the word. He endured as seeing him who is unseen, as seeing things like this, God for who he is. That's how he endured. 
when all things come together, it will be clear to us. John Flavel, a Puritan who wrote the Keeping the Heart, he said this. He says, Providence, listen carefully, he says, Providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds, which single, if you were to pull out one of those threads, which single appear useless. But put together, they represent a beautiful history to the eye. And you'll see it all. We'll see it all, won't we? Someday I'll see why, why dad had to be the way he was. Why that day had to be the way it was. Why that blank stare in his face. I tell you now, it is well with my soul. Because I know that life is an unraveling, spinning away because of some blind chance out there. My Father in heaven knows the hairs on my head. They're less now. But he knows where every one of them went. <laughs> yeah. It's well with my soul. I think, I think part of our problem is, you know, it, I mean, it's our human problem, right? I don't mean your problem. I mean my problem, right, is, is living by faith and laying hold of the truth that we may have hope and not seeing the tapestry yet, the beauty of it as it comes together. But they have to all come together, you know? I've used the illustration here before. It's like baking something good. My wife bakes a lot of things. She makes a, bakes a lot of good things, but she knows which one is the best thing that I like. It's this coffee cake that she makes. And somehow she found a way to make it gluten-free so she can have it with me so I don't just sit there and look at her and, you know, wolf down a whole cake. <laughs> but if I were to take all the ingredients that she puts into this cake one at a time, Raw egg. There's one thread. Handful of gluten-free flour. What would that be like? Terrible, right? <laughs> yes, you can answer. <laughs> It'd be horrendous, man. What's it like to eat like that, you see? And that's how, that's how you're... That's how a lot of us are, are looking at life right now. You're tasting one ingredient at a time, and, it, and it's, it's not good. But she combines those things, you know? I don't even know how she does it, you know? It gets all blended, and all this stuff happens. It works together, and then she puts it in this oven, and I walk by looking at the timer, you know? <laughs> waiting for what? What am I waiting for? I'm waiting for all things to work together. And I know once they've all worked together, she's going to open that thing up, and it's going to be what? Good, right? Sit down my coffee cake. It's well with my soul, because I know that God is in control of all the ingredients of my life and your life, and he's going to bring that good in the end. I think the hard thing there sometimes is to understand that some of the ingredients in those cakes are pretty bad. What if poison's one of the things she puts in the cake? 
Well, that's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I think the, the, one of the greatest theological conundrums and things we wrestle with in our heart is, can God really include evil in the ingredient of my life? Yeah, that's, that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. But I want to tell you that, yeah, he can. Again, it's not that it is good, but he'll bring good. That's tough, I know. To sit down with someone who's been hurt terribly, abused, think gotta let it bake we gotta let it bake we gotta walk by faith Moses endured as seeing the one who's unseen seeing the reward takes time can he really do this absolutely you know the story of Joseph in Genesis right some of you going on a class with Pedro and I don't want to steal much of his thunder, but it'll be a while before he gets this passage. Remember the story of Joseph? What was the story of Joseph? Remember he was one of Jacob's sons in the multi-technicolor coat, and his brothers got tired of his boasting and his dreams, and they said, let's get rid of this dreamer. And out of jealousy, what'd they do? They did an unthinkable thing. They sold one of their brothers into slavery. Think of that. Some of you have been hurt by family. Some of you have been hurt by those closest to you. Was it a good thing they did to, to, to Joseph? No. What happened? Let's go keep going through the story. What happened? He gets sold into Egypt. Somehow he, he gets to serve Potiphar, and Potiphar is an important official. He trusts him with every, everything in his home. He, his life is going good. And then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And what happened? In the prison. Was that good? No. What happens? He's there for a while. He interprets a couple dreams. Somebody goes out. They t uh, Pharaoh has a dream. They tell him, there's a guy in prison who can interpret dreams. So they bring him out, and he interprets the dream from Pharaoh. And what happens? Eventually, he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. He is second in power in the empire of the world, Egypt, at that time. There he is. He's up again. <laughs> And then what happens? Some time goes by and uh, God sends a famine into that part of the world, that region of the world, and Israel is also affected, those living outside of Egypt. And so Jacob says, okay, we're done. We've got to send you down into Egypt to get some food. And so down go some brothers, and they come looking for food in Egypt. Some time goes by. There's all this interchange, remember? But then, lo and behold, who is in charge of Egypt? The brother they thought they had got themselves rid of. Remember your story, right? They, they interact. Joseph is slow in revealing himself. They don't recognize him. Eventually, he reveals himself to them, and he says, I am Joseph, your brother. Gulp. We're in trouble. <laughs> he has total power. He says, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. Bring my dad. They all come down, and he takes care of his family, right? And then what happens? Jacob dies, the father. And then the brothers think, okay, now he's going to do us in. 
Dad's gone. And so they come running up to him and they say, oh, forgive us, forgive us. Dad, Dad said you should forgive us right before he died. I got up my iPhone right here. And Joseph, by God's grace, can really look to his brothers from his heart. Genesis 50, he says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I'm not going to kill you. But what does he say? As for you, I'm in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. Is what they did evil? Yes. Did they mean evil? Yes. As for you, you mean evil, meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How many it's was there? Hint. Those of you at home. How many it's? One it. He's not talking about two different things, you see. He's saying, you meant this action for evil. God meant that same action for good. You see, brothers and sisters, in everything that happens, in every decision, in every action in history, there are always two wills at work. There is the will and design and intent of the human agent, and there is the will, design, and intent of the divine agent. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In fact, there's a point there in the story, there's a point there in the story where Jacob, the father, he's, he's now sent one of the, 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 the children down and one of them had to stay and then Reuben comes back and says, I'm supposed to get another one and take him, out, take him down. And what he says is very interesting because uh, this is what he says in chapter 42 earlier. Uh, he says, all this has come against me. He thinks he's going to lose three of his sons now. And he thought he already lost Joseph. He doesn't realize Joseph is down there. He says, all this has come against me. And when you understand the story, when he thought God was most against him, God was for him to bring about his plan to save the family from the famine and to save the line of the Messiah. I know at times it feels like God is against us. But I'm telling you, he's, he's not. You're in Christ. And the mystery, of course, there is mystery here. When I say mystery, I, I'm not talking about who done it. When the Bible speaks of mystery, and, there's, and theologians speak of mystery, what they're saying is that the Bible sometimes affirms things that we must trust and believe because God said it without knowing exactly how it all works out. And so here's the mystery, that God can ordain everything, and that can include the evil that was done to Joseph and you. And yet he doesn't, he's not responsible for the sin, nor does he mean evil, and the human agents who did it are accountable for it, because they weren't coerced. I've pointed to this before. What is one of the greatest evils, if not the greatest evil ever done? Yeah. Right on the, you nailed it. The crucifixion of Christ 
the book of Acts says that they carried out the crucifixion according to God's predetermined plan. What they meant for evil when they crucified our Lord, God meant for good. So he is working all things for good. Therefore, we can say, it is well with my soul. I hope you can. Really mean it. There is a, a quote that I've used before. I'll use it again. Remember what Thomas Watson said. This is just another way to remember it, okay? Thomas Watson once said, God always has a hand in the action where the sin is. They sold him into slavery. God always has his hand in the action where sin is, but he never has his hand in the sin of the action. Did you follow that, or is your head spinning? God always has a hand, right? He always has a hand in the action where sin is. They meant it for evil, but he never has a hand in the sin of the action. He meant it for good. Oh, oh, the wisdom and power and knowledge of God. Who can search his ways? When you grow in Christ, you're going to learn, if you haven't learned yet, that there's going to be some things, there are going to be some tensions in the Bible that you're going to simply have to trust God and live with it and say, I don't know, I I don't know. If you ask me, can you tell me how did it all work? I say, if I could tell you how it all works, I wouldn't be here. I'd actually be up there with him because only then will I know. (laughs) I'll never know down here how it all works. I'm content to rest in that peacefully. This is the comfort of divine providence. Now, for whom does he work all things to good? He says, those who love God. Those who love God. That's a very subjective thing, right? I mean, most people would probably say, I love God. What do you mean I don't love God? I love God. So Paul says, those who are called according to his purpose. You see, those who truly love God, remember, we love God because what? He first loved us, right? He awakened us to who he is. We saw his love for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so we love God genuinely from our heart because he first loved us. So when he says those who love God, he's talking also about those who are called according to his purpose. When he says called, he doesn't mean, hello, come here. He means awakened in their heart. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they what? Follow me. The sheep of Christ are the called ones. We, we, at some point, we have heard Christ beckoning us through the gospel. So those who are called or those who are born again, the sheep who hear his voice and follow him, and now what? We love him even though we've not seen him, says Peter. Because he first loved us. So what that means is this, that God is working all things together, bringing all the ingredients of our lives, including everything you're seeing happening right now today. He's working it for the ultimate good of those who know God and love God. And what's the good? Bypass that a little bit there for you. 
those of you looking down at your outlines. What's the good that he actually is working together? Sometimes we say, well, you know, hang in there, man. I'm sure good will come of it. Yeah, thanks. And sometimes we use the Romans 8.28 verse like that. It's just like a, you know. I mean, is, is Romans 8.28 true? Yes. Be careful how you use it. I don't walk into hospitals with people laying there in pain and on ventilators and this and that and the other things. Say, hey, excuse me. Yeah, hey, listen. Hang in there. Romans 8.28. Here's my card. And yet that's about how some people use the verse. What I'm saying is you take time for a minute and think about what these people are suffering. And what they're doing is they're trying to find the high ground to see God for who he is. And the good that God is working for them, they may never see in this life. So don't give them the impression that, don't worry, this all work out for really good. Maybe next week even. Now, does God sometimes do that? Absolutely. Sometimes we get to see some of the good that came from something we thought was bad, and we're looking back, and it's only a month later, and we're going, wow. Wow. I know people who have, who have desperately wept because of some, uh, you know, some relationship they thought was somebody who was going to be their future spouse, and only to find out a year later they, they got married with someone who really is going to work out. <laughs> I know people who have lost jobs. Was that good? No, it was hard. Only to get the very best job they ever had two months later. So yes, sometimes God works good, and we see it, but that's not what Paul is getting at here. He's talking about the present sufferings of this life, of living out uh, our life with mortal bodies in a fallen, broken world. He says, ultimately, there's good coming. And what is the ultimate good? He tells us in the very next verse, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's it, right there. What God is working to your good is this. He, he is shaping you into the image of his son, which one day will come to fruition completely, and you will be glorified with him. You will be made like him in the new creation. So right now, the cake's cooking. And sometimes it's hot in the oven, huh? 450 is a bit hot. Right now, God is chiseling. He's chiseling. He's chiseling. He's bringing hardship into our lives, in this mortal life. Mid-May, broke my ankle. It's God chiseling. It kind of felt like that, by the way. Bang! Sit down, Tony. Be still. You read, you meditate. He's working that together for ultimate good. But that's only true if you belong to him. And what I want to say to you today, Ian, is that we are gathering at the high ground when we come here to worship God. Not to pick up Bible facts, not to check a box, to meet with the living God with broken hearts 
broken bodies, doubts, questions, struggles, to meet God and see Him for who He is and to exalt Him. It's well in my soul, guys. It's not because life is good. It's not good to go see Dad where he is. Get that blank stare. But I know one day, when the cake's done, he'll say my name again. And he'll know me. Just thinking about the experience of the disciples when they were out on that boat in a storm and the grace and love of God to have Jesus snoring. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's why I, I, I view it, okay? Life is a mess, right? The storm is going haywire. It's crazy what even experienced fishermen are, are getting scared. So they wake him up. Lord, Lord, do you not care that we're about to perish? And I think at least in Luke's account, what he says to them is, where is your faith? By implication, what he's saying, listen, get your eyes off the storm and get them on me. Hush, be still. End of story. Some of you... You are struggling. You're angry. You're disoriented. You're perplexed. You're worried. You're anxious. You're bewildered. I'm running on adjectives. But you know what you are, right? You know why? Because you can't get your eyes off the storm. Get them on him. Let's get him on him. Let's get him on him together. What's he like? He's sovereign, infinitely wise, and love. Perfect in his love for you. Now God's going to repeat that to us through the Lord's Supper here. We're coming to the communion, to the Lord's Supper. And God speaks through that supper, through those elements to you and me. And he keeps telling you and me, listen, I love you. You, I gave my son for you. It's finished. So let's sing a song to prepare our hearts, and then Tom's going to lead us through the song.